Father, would you speak to us right now? Would you, Holy Spirit, do a work in our lives that only you can do? And we are amazed at you. We love you, Lord. Would you use what happens here tonight to teach us to love you more? And that you change us and that you change the world around us because of what you've done in our hearts. Thank you for my friends here. Thank you for the things that we've already talked about. Thank you for, for what Caleb just talked about. That's, that our acceptance, our identity is in you. Would you solidify that truth in our hearts? We don't need to prove anything. We don't have to attain anything. You've already done it for us, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. This is Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. This is the first big missionary journey that was recorded in the Bible, where these guys have gone out and they've gone from city to city to city, preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so this is where we are in verse 8 of chapter 14. Actually, let me, let me read to you. As you're turning to Acts chapter 14, let me read to you something that Nick Edwards texted me just a little bit ago, and I thought I'd read this to you. Nick Edwards said, the enemy, where's Nick? Okay, he's around here somewhere. Okay, he's, he texted this to me. He said, the enemy has nothing to use against us besides a manipulation of what already exists. In other words, all the enemy can do is twist what God has made. He can't make anything himself. The enemy does not have the power to create or make anything new. Everything he uses against us has already existed for thousands of years. All the enemy can do is use lies made from God's truth or twisted from God's truth. So um, just keep that in mind because um, what we're going to see tonight is how the enemy tries to twist the truth of God to cause people to experience less than what God has for them. So verse 8, in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet. Okay, they're in the city of Lystra. And this guy was lame from birth and had never walked. Let me see if this is working. It's not working. Okay, guys, we're, we're doing really good here. Um, how, do I get it? how do I get this to work? Okay. So you're going to get that. Okay. He, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Okay, so there's this guy in Lister who's who has not w walked. Is it working now? Okay, walking. Is it working? <laughs> it's working. Okay. I just want you guys to think about the guys. Bear with me. We got you know this is every every time we try something new, it's it's a little bit hard. So, um, so I just want you guys to think about what it would be like. We we read through these stories and what what would it be like to just be a guy who who can't walk from birth? So I. I Took this picture. I got this picture here, and I don't know if you guys can see it, but here's a guy who doesn't have any feet, and he's he's got this little skateboard thing, and he's inching along on it, trying to make the best of his life. And obviously, this is not the guy in Lystra, but I don't know if you guys can see the the looks on these people's faces that are watching him, but they're just checking him out. So I want you to get that picture in your mind of what's going on in Lystra. Here's this guy in Lystra. He hasn't walked since birth, and People have noticed him. They know what he's like. And, G and Paul comes along. And Paul is speaking. And he listens. Verse 9, he listens to what Paul was saying. So, guys, what was Paul saying? We're not told. We're not told exactly 
what he was saying, except if you go back up in the verse right before, in verse 7, we're told, is that working now? Yeah. Is it working? Can can... Aldi, can you hear me? Okay, you just make faces at me if you decide you can't, okay? <laughs> okay, so guys, this is, this is new era. I get two hands. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, he's, Paul's preaching. That's what verse 7 says, that Paul went to Lister and he continued to preach the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that the king has come and that there is a new kingdom that, that we get to be a part of. Jesus talked about it in Luke 4 when he set out to do this ministry. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do what? To preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and declare the year of the Lord's favor. And this guy is sitting there, think about that guy. He's sitting there listening to what Paul's saying. He says, this sounds like good news to me. This is exciting. And so, Paul looks directly at him. Look at the second part of verse 9. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. Okay, here's what I wanted you guys to think about. What if Paul hadn't noticed this guy? What, first of all, what if Paul hadn't preached? What if Paul hadn't talked, hadn't come to his town? What if Paul hadn't preached the good news? What if this guy didn't believe what Paul said? And what if Paul, what if, even if this guy believed what Paul said, what if Paul did not respond? Instead, Paul discerns, Paul looks, just, even right now, there's times where I'm, I'm speaking and I'm, I'm looking at people's hearts and I'm saying, well, something's happened in that person's life. There's other times you can just like, man, man this is like dry ground. You guys know what that's like. Not here. Not here. Not at the merge. You guys are coming here excited to learn. But, but Paul looks at this guy and he's like, wow, that guy, that, the seed is sinking in. And he says, you've got faith to believe. And he tells the guy, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Yeah. Jesus healed him. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, here's what's amazing. This, we don't have any record of, this, of what, the, what happened to this guy. Does he decide to become a believer? Does he follow Jesus? We don't know. But the crowd, these people that are sitting back there watching this guy who's watched him from birth, they started shouting in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. That's nice because he's older. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Wow. And I know what you guys are thinking. How could these people be so stupid? I think what we're going to find out tonight is they're not the only ones who are stupid. In fact, it's the pattern of people's hearts to want to worship almost anything that they think that'll fill their heart except for the true God. Think about this. Why is it that people are so quick to worship things that are less than God himself and so slow to worship him? Why is that? And think about it. And part of the reason is this, because God has put in every one of our hearts a longing that nothing can fill, nothing can satisfy except for God himself. And yet, we have experiences 
as we go through life of having something that hints at a feeling. We have an experience with a person, or we have an experience with a sunset, or a good meal, or a good movie, or something, or a drug, or an alcohol, or alcohol, or sexual experience, and we and there's a there's a hint of something that we were made for that's bigger than this world, and we long for the God who created us, and if we haven't found Him, we try to fill our lives with this stuff. And these guys get a, they get a little taste of the goodness of God, and they worship Paul and Barnabas. Think of that, that, that they are the answer to their longing. Guys, that's what idolatry is. And Paul talks about this. About 10 years later, Paul's writing a letter to the Romans. And he writes this letter to the Romans in, verse, in chapter 1 of Romans. So I'm, if you guys will flip over and go turn right on, in your Bibles to Romans 1. And I just want to, I want to read to you guys. I want us to read together what Paul says to the church in Rome that explains what these people had done in, in Lystra 10 years before and what the people were going to do in Arlington, Texas 1900-something years later. This is what he says. Romans 1, 19. He says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, in other words, the things, I'd say underline that if you get your own Bible. Underline this. The things that can be known about God are, what's the adjective he uses? Plain. Because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so many people respond by saying, there's no proof for God. How can we really know He exists? And then verse 21, so, the, so look, at, look at what the, the sequence here. For all they, though they knew God, in other words, every little kid growing up knows that they came from somewhere. They might not understand it. They've got a concept of God. You have to learn to not believe in God because the natural thing is to believe in God. Yeah. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what happens as people grow up. This is what happens as societies grow up. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Does that describe some people you know? And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking about, first of all, talking about idols that people built, that people made to worship because they didn't, they couldn't imagine what the glory of God was. And therefore, look at what it says, therefore God gave them over. In other words, God said, okay, have it your way. You want to worship what I created rather than the creator himself? Then I'll give you over. I'll let you go your own way. And he gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity 
for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You guys, you guys want to know where sexual impurity comes from? It comes from a worship of the things that God has created rather than, God, than worshiping God himself. If you, got, if you or somebody you know has a problem with sexuality, it's because they're worshiping something that is visible rather than worshiping the invisible God. We've all done that. We've all worshiped things that are less than God himself. So there's no point in the figure. There's no condemning people. It's that we all have realized that we've put things in our lives that are more important to us than God, and it takes a repentant heart to turn away from that, saying, God, would you teach me to love you more than anything else? And they exchanged, look at verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So here, Paul's writing this. He's writing this synopsis of the downward spiral of humanity, explaining why people worship idols, why people have worshiped idols through history, and why the people there in Lystra, 10 years before, had worshipped him and Barnabas, and why the people in Arlington and here at UTA worship all kinds of things other than Creator God. But I want you guys to see how Paul and Barnabas respond. Verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul saw this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting. Now, I think part of the reason they tore their clothes is to say, see, we got skin. They wanted, they wanted, they wanted these guys to realize they were nothing. And they were shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only, mere, are only men, humans like you. Okay, here's the point. Here's a question for you. How do you respond when people act like you're great? How do you respond when people worship you? We all get a little worship here and there. We all get a little praise. That sure feels good, doesn't it? You're scared to say, yeah. But we know how good it is when somebody says, man, you are awesome. And I want you guys to think about how Paul and Barnabas responded. Because most of us respond very differently on the inside than we do on the outside. Because people tell us how great we are and we're like, ah, oh, come on. I'll, I'll praise Jesus. And then inside we're going, that feels so good. Glad somebody likes me. Glad somebody thinks I'm really what I am. You guys know what I'm talking about. And maybe the biggest, here, you guys think about this, maybe the biggest determiner of whether God can use our lives, here in this room, our lives, to get glory for himself is whether we, whether you, can be trusted with the praise of people and not steal from him praise that belongs to only him. Maybe the reason that God used Paul and Barnabas more than he's used us, even though he wants to use us, is because maybe we haven't learned the humility of really believing that we're not just worthy of any praise at all. When I first came to Grace Community Church, I remember the first, I, was, I wasn't even on staff yet. I was, building a, I was building this office down there, and Gary's like, hey, it's prayer time. So I go in with Pastor Gary, and, and I remember the first time in that prayer meeting, I, I remember Gary praying from his heart, saying, Lord, would you let us 
bring glory to your name in Arlington and in the world. And I promise you, Lord, that if you let us do that, we will not steal any of your glory for ourselves. And I thought, I want to be part of this church. I want to be part of a church that doesn't, we don't need the spotlight. We don't need a bunch of people to think we're great. Because we're not. I, we got an amazing ministry here at the Cornerstone. Praise God for what he's doing. But you know what? Whether people think it's great or not, doesn't matter. We're working for Jesus' glory. Some people will like us. Some people won't. Okay, so Paul continues. Why don't you guys see what happens here? Paul continues, second part of verse 15. Paul, the, Paul takes this opportunity, he preaches, preaches this little sermonette. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Guys, that, tonight, that is God's word to some of you. Turn from the stupid, worthless things to the living God. Turn to Jesus. The other things don't matter. You've lived for other things. You've tried to make life work because of those other things. You've thought that those other things could fill you. They didn't. They won't. They can't. Turn to the living God. And look what he says. Who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Verse 16. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Verse 17. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Okay, I want you guys to see this little sermonette that Paul preaches. He preaches a four-point sermon. Okay, this is, this is speaking training for all of you. So see if you guys can figure out his little his strategy in this sermon, okay? Okay, He's, he first of all says, first thing he says, his first point is, turn from worthless things to the living God. He gets right to the point. Okay, second thing he says is God is the creator of heaven and earth. So just one more thing about idolatry, guys. Idolatry, the worship of idols. In the past, and even other parts of the world, there's so many people who worship statues. I've seen some of the statues. I've been in some people's houses where they got little statues, they got big statues. They worship these statues. But what Paul is speaking against here is the stupidest idol of all, and yet the idol that is the favorite idol in our country. And that's the idol that lies, that tells the lie, that this universe that we live in, all of time, all space, all energy, all matter, that all of it came from nothing. That nothingness suddenly produced somethingness. That randomness suddenly, randomness and chaos suddenly produced order and design. That no consciousness at all suddenly brought about consciousness. That's the religion uh, that is accepted in this society. That's what people are claiming. That's what people live like. It's the politically correct ideology in America. 
And no kid could ever believe that. It takes a lot of learning and a lot of refusing of the truth to get to the point where you can say, yeah, all this happened randomly. And the result of that philosophy is emptiness and purposelessness. You wonder why people don't have purpose in their life? Why purpose? You don't matter anyway. You don't matter anyway. If there's no God, and there's no, then there's no morality. We're just random accidents. And Paul's speaking against that, and he says, God is the creator of heaven and earth. God spoke, and this universe, this universe started. God made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Okay, the third thing he says is, for a period of time, God let all nations go their own way. Okay, we've talked a little bit about Deuteronomy 32 before. In Deuteronomy 32, we're told that, we're told this. You can't put it up there, I guess, because um, I can put it up. Okay, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. This, this is an interesting verse, guys. Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 says, When the Most High assigned the nations their inheritance, when he parceled out the descendants of Adam, he set up the boundaries for the people after the number of the sons of God. Okay, here it is right here. I don't know if you guys can see that. If you rotate, that would be bigger. If I rotate, it'll be bigger. There we go. A little bigger. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, there was a time when God says, okay, I'm dividing up all the people groups. I'm going to let all these people live there. I'm going to let these people live there. I'm going to let these people live there. And what we talked about last week is how he said, I'm going to let these people be, because of their rejection of me, I'm going to let these people be ruled by lesser deities who they're going to worship as God. And that's what I'm talking about here. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided up all mankind, he set up the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. Now, th this translation is a good translation most of the time, but that's not what it says. It says, after the number of the sons of God. We talked about the sons of God last week. In other words, these lesser deities were going to be allowed to rule over ethnicities. But look at verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted, allotted inheritance. This is, this is the point of all this. That God says, okay, you guys don't want to follow me? Go serve those deities that you've been serving. But I'm going to take Israel and I'm going to keep Israel for myself because I've got a plan for Israel to, to reach this whole world again. Okay, that's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, for, for a long time, God let you guys go your own way. Implying that now he's calling all of you back to himself. That's Jesus' plan. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, back to Jesus. That's his plan. Okay? There's one more thing that he says. So as he... He says that even in God's releasing all these people groups to lesser deities who they're going to serve and worship and be ruled by, look at verse 17. And this is where we're, this is going to get exciting, guys. We're just about to, it says, this is where we're going to start getting excited. Verse 17. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. And he gives testimonies or witnesses or proofs of God's involvement with people in four ways. Guys, I want you to look, look at this. Okay, This is your Bible study time, okay? He says, God let you guys all go your own way. He gave you over to lesser deities. But even in all that, even in all this time where you guys have been serving all these deities and didn't know the one true God, he, he 
did not leave you without a testimony of his existence. And what are the four things that he says here? He gave you rain. Are you saying that? Okay. I already talked to Daniel about that, so he's four steps ahead. Okay. So Daniel, Daniel says he gave them rain. You guys see that? Okay, you guys see that? What else did he, what else does he say? He did good. Let's say it again. He did good. He did good. Okay. That God did good? Say it again. Okay, he gave them fruitful seasons, okay? I don't know, if you got your own Bible, underline that word season. Okay, what else? What's that? Joy. He gave them, he gave people who didn't even know anything about it, he gave them a hint of his existence by putting joy in their heart. You ever notice that you, you run into people in Japan or the Philippines or wherever you've been with me, and it's like there's happy people. And all joy comes from God. And they don't, might, might not know God personally, but he's put joy in their hearts. There are some really happy people. And where does that joy come from? What God is saying is the joy, that even the joy that people experience came from him. Okay? And it was one other thing. Food. He gave him food. He, he, what God is saying is, look, you guys all went your own way. You all serve these lesser deities. But the truth of that, that, I'm your, that I'm the ultimate God, I gave you hints of that all along the way. Okay? What's, inter what's interesting for me, guys, here is that when Paul talks to these people in Lystra, he, the arguments he uses for God's involvement in their lives aren't what Roger would have used, right? If he doesn't know Roger is, a, is an expert um, apologist, and he's, he's um, going to be, he's, gonna, he's got a class here on Tuesday nights, right? Tuesday nights, I'm um, doing apologetics and, and learning how to answer questions that people ask that are hard questions sometimes. But Paul doesn't go for those hard questions. He says, there's a God because he's been really nice to you. Yeah. And you know why he does it? Here's what I want you guys to think about. The reason that Paul does it this way is because Paul knows, just like you know, that nobody comes to God apart from the, the kindness of God. Yeah. It's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you came. Yeah. And if you didn't come for that reason, then I, my guess is you're not going to stick around for very long. But it's God's kindness that brings people to repentance. And so the proofs... The testimony that Paul uses is, God was really nice to you guys. Yeah, that's so good. Okay. I've been thinking about this. And as I thought, these four proofs, okay, any, any place you study in the Bible, here's Bible study instruction for you. You open the Bible and you read it and you're like, okay, that was cool. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to think of the, the Bible, the, your Bible study, like walking down the, the hallway of a hotel with a thousand rooms in it, and you could open any one of those doors and walk into a whole new world. And so, I mean, the, the, the Bible is so exciting if you just, if you just get out of the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. And most people are like, oh yeah, it's cool, I saw the hotel. But there's so much under the surface. So I, I just thought, I thought, okay, these four things, I thought, what if we just, what if we just open one of these doors? So you want, you want to open one of these doors? Okay, okay. Should I give you guys the choice of which door to open? <laughs> okay, Here, okay, we're doing number two. We're number two. Thank you. We're doing number two. We're doing crops in their seasons. Okay, this is what we're doing. I just want, I want you guys to think about this. Obviously, what Paul is saying on the surface is that crops grow because of God's goodness to all the people. But he doesn't just say, God gave you crops. He said, gave you crops in the season. So I just want to say, let's open this door into this whole concept of 
seasons, and let's see what we find. And I think you guys are going to be real excited by this, and we got a few minutes left. Okay, so this is what happens. Is there anything, here's my question, think, think this way. Is there anything significant about the seasons that would testify to God's goodness? Okay, harvest. Yeah. Anything that would testify to his goodness or to his excellence? Okay. Over and over? Sure, yeah. Good. Okay. Okay. He talks about the crops and their seasons. Let me ask you guys this. Crops are dictated by seasons, right? In other words, you get bananas in banana season. You get mangoes in mango season. You get rambatans in rambatans season. Anybody like rambatans? Oh, yes. You are my kind of people. Okay. Okay. You get certain fruits in certain seasons. Did you guys notice that? Unless you live in America where it's like there's greenhouses somewhere in the world and they ship it all here. But other places, seasons matter. Okay. So you guys notice that crops are determined by seasons and seasons are determined by weather. The sun and the earth's position. Did you guys realize that seasons are determined by the tilt, the slant of this planet? You guys notice that? Is that not right? That's a, hey, what, what's, what's the tilt of this planet? What is it? 23.5 degrees. Anybody, 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 astronomers in here want to disagree with him? Okay. Okay. Listen to this. Just think about this. The seasons are determined by, by the tilt of this planet at 23.5 degrees. And if, I think it's 22.5, buddy. But, uh, but I'm, I could be wrong. I, I, I think it's 22.5, but I could be wrong. Um, if, it was, if it was 25 degrees, or if it was 20 degrees, what would the crops in their season look like? Guess what, guys? There were many crops in the seasons. It just so happens, by random chance, not, that, <laughs> that the tilt of the earth allows us to have rambatans and mangoes and jackfruit and other kinds of grapefruit, right? And if it wasn't that, if it was tilted more or less, it would not happen. So, as Paul's talking to these guys in Lystra, he starts talking about the Earth's tilt at 22 and a half degrees. Right? No! Because in their minds, the seasons are not dictated by the tilt of the Earth. Right? In their minds, the seasons are dictated by... Say it again? The, the, by God? God's. Okay, the God they believe in. Okay, okay. That's, that's right, probably. But, it, but the God they believe in is the, the, the here's what I want you guys to think about. The, they believed that the tilt, they didn't believe in the tilt of the earth, they didn't understand that. But they did know that there were, the seasons were determined by something going on in the heavens and that certain phenomenon happened when certain, when bananas grew and when rambutans grew. And you know what was, what the correlation was that they saw? The stars. The stars, the constellations, guys. Okay, so here's my question for you. Is there anything in the scripture, anything in the Bible that invites us to consider the constellations in regards to the seasons? 
Genesis 1. Thank you, Dylan. So Genesis 1. Genesis 1. 14. Says this. Let's see if we can get back here. Genesis 1, 14. Says. You guys can look it up. And God said, this is where God puts lights in the sky, or at least allows the people on the planet, the, the, the planet to be able to see the lights that he's created in the sky. And he says, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. Okay? So in other words, God says, God intended that people would receive information from the lights in the sky that they could use as signs. The simple meaning of that is that the calendar would be determined by lights in the sky. You guys with me? Okay, that's cool. Okay, now let's look at another scripture. Let's look at another scripture. Let's look at Psalm 19. Okay. I want you to think, is there anything other than a calendar that these seasonal lights teach us? Psalm 19, verse 1. You guys should, this is an exciting scripture that tells us something that maybe you've never thought of before. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. What's they? What's he saying? Yeah, the stars, the heavens. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Guess what? There's a message that is available to all people no matter what language they speak. Is that cool or what? Okay. Their voice, they're speaking of the heavens, the stars, and the constellations. Goes, voice, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Here's what I want you guys to think about and write down if you're taking notes. There is a message in the skies that is available to all people. Wow. Yeah, thank you. So, what's the message? I mean, I've read this for years. And I've thought, what is all there's, there's, okay, the glory of God, but is there something more? And it's really just, I, I, I started thinking about this about 4 o'clock this morning. And I've been studying this all day. And I'm so excited. I've learned stuff today that I, that I wish I would have learned 30 years ago. But here's what it is. You guys want to know? Okay. We divide up the year into how many seasons? That's our way. But is there, is there, that's just because there's, it's an easy way to divide it up. Is there any other way that we divide up the year? Yeah. We divide up the year into months, right? How many months we got? 12 months. Okay, and those months are named after what? Some gods and some emperors, some Caesar dudes, right? Okay, what did God have? Did, did God name those months? Are you guys interested to know what the months were named, what, what the months were called before Julius Caesar? Yes. Okay, this is fascinating, guys. So here, let me just tell you. The year is divided into 12 constellations that rise, that rise at certain times of the year, depending on where the Earth is and its rotation around the sun. And those constellations, there's 12 constellations, but there's also Associated with each one of those 12 constellations are three more constellations. So there's a, ma there's a major constellation that divides into 12 months of the year. And then there's three other constellations that are associated with each of those 12. Do you guys understand? 
So three per month plus the main one. So there's four per month. That's total 48. And the scientist, the astronomer, Ptolemy wrote about this in wherever he lived, a couple hundred BC. Okay, so you guys are interested to in know what these constellations are and what their what, the, what their message is? This is fascinating, guys. And uh, let me also just say that you guys, have, you know, I grew up having nothing to do with astrology. Astrology is the belief that these constellations somehow have a fateful impact on your life, and if you were born at a certain time that somehow these constellations have um, uh, some control over you. And that's stupid. Okay, that's stupid. Okay, so don't confuse. You guys can't go out of here and t go tell people that I'm teaching astrology, okay? <laughs> Cannot do it. But understand that astrology, the reason I started with reading what Nick wrote is because Nick, Nick came into my office and he said what I was already going to teach, that all... All the devil can do is take truth and warp it. Yeah. And that's what, that's what astrology is. is he took this, these pictures in the sky that point to the, the truth of Jesus, the way of Jesus, and the devil warped those and made people believe that they were somehow under the power of these constellations. But that's not true. Now, the word that they use for these constellations is zodiac. Zodiac comes really probably from a Sanskrit word that means the way. The way. That is that. That's cool. Yeah, the, there is a pointing to Jesus, the way to Jesus that is pointed at through these stars. So I'm going to show you some of them, okay? So first of all, I'm going to show you the first one. The first one is, okay, let's see if I can get this right. I was, I downloaded this stuff. Whoops. Guys, I'm excited if this works. Okay, the first one is right here, okay? And that's, uh, that is the constellation Virgo. Okay, now understand that the pictures developed later on. The initial, the initial reason that, that, these, that these constellations were called what they were called had more to do with a mnemonic device to help people remember them than the pictures. The pictures were kind of um, set up later on. Okay, so Virgo is a picture of a woman who, in her one hand, is carrying a branch. Okay, who's the branch? Read through the Old Testament, Jesus is called the branch. So this woman, oops, sorry, this woman carries a branch that represents Jesus. In her other hand, she carries, here it's got some sprouts, but the accurate picture is a woman who is carrying a seed. The seed of the woman, according to Genesis 3.15, is Jesus. Jesus, right? Okay, now, so associated with the woman is another woman, and what, there we go. Another woman. And here, all, all, all it shows is her hair. Okay, but this woman is also a virgin. And in ancient times, this woman, who is a virgin, is shown as having a boy on her lap. Okay? A woman, why would a, boy, a woman have a boy child in her lap? Because this points to Jesus. Now, if you step up here, this is the great shepherd. Okay, this is the great shepherd, 
And remember, this is, this is just month one. This is the first part of the whole story. So this great shepherd is given responsibility, and above him is, let's see, there's a crown up here. Where's the crown? Okay, I was really practicing this so that I'd look like I, was, I knew what I was doing. Um, um, crown, crown, crown. Okay, you guys got to see the crown. Okay. The crown is called... Um, okay, we'll, we'll find the crown in here in a second. Okay. Okay. You guys get the point? Okay. Okay. Points to Jesus. Okay, so that's the first one. The second month... So month one is, is the virgin, is Virgo. Okay? So month two is Libra. Libra is, of course, you're looking at it from the side. Libra is a pair of balances, scales. Okay, this speaks of justice. And there's two stars, two of the stars in this constellation are, one, um, have na some interesting names. One is the name, the price deficient. One of these, these stars means that the price isn't met. The second one is the price that covers. Okay, I'm inviting you guys to study all this. Okay. You guys can study this. Now, there's three, there's three smaller um, constellations that are associated with this. One is, if we go down here, one is the cross. Okay? So there's this, this pair of balances. There's deficiency. There's covering. The covering comes through the cross. And right here, this is another constellation that is associated with this with this group of this group of constellations and this is an animal here but it is a sacrificial victim okay so the balances have the cross and the sacrificial victim and then up here is the crown okay we gotta find the crown okay so guys I know this you guys just gotta wait for me but this is cool Corona. We got this one. There's two crowns, actually. Okay. Where, where is it? Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay. So the crown. So you guys got, you got this pair of balances, deficiency, payment, the cross, the sacrificial victim, and the victory of the crown. Okay, that's month two. Is that cool? Okay. Just coincidence, right? Okay. Whoops. Okay, so now we got... Where are we? Okay, we got Libra. Now we got Scorpius. Okay, so here we got this scorpion dude. And this represents the devil. There's several, several of these that represent the devil. This is one of the representations of the devil. Now if you look above the devil, let's see. Um, okay, right up above it. Oh, here he is, right here. This dude. Oh, that's him. Okay, here he is right here. Okay. Whew. Okay, now I want you guys to notice that this guy represents humanity. This is, hum this is a man, a strong man, who is wrestling with a serpent. Okay. Wow. Okay. Now, which, what's hard to see in this is that the scorpion that's beneath him, the, the scorpion's tail is stinging the, the heel of that man. But the heel of the man, of the, the other heel of the man, is on the 
serpent's, on the scorpion's head. Here's, here's a depiction of it right here. Okay. All right. Okay, is that, is that interesting? Okay. So you got that. Then we'll go over here. The next month is, let's see, the next month is, this is the first time I've ever taught through anything like this, so I'm figuring it out. Okay, Sagittarius is the next one. Okay, here's this guy. There he is. Part of the problem is I figured this all out this morning, but this, this um, as the world turns, this all goes underneath the world. This was all up on the sky this morning. You guys know what I'm saying? Because we're not in the same position we were. Okay, so, so Sagittarius is the picture of a, what is it? Centaur. Okay, now what I want you guys to see is that the centaur is a, has a horse's body and a human body. What is this? What does this tell of? This tells of the, the two natures of Jesus. Fully God, fully human. Okay? And, and you see what he's, what he's shooting that arrow at. That arrow, if we can get back here, is being shot directly at the scorpion. Okay. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, now let's move up here to Capricornus. I think we'll just do one or two more and then we'll, and then we'll be done. Okay, Capricornus, this represents the scapegoat that was slain for the people, okay? Oh, I gotta show you one more. Let's go back to Virgo. Okay, I gotta, I gotta take you back to Virgo here. Okay, take you back to Virgo. Right next to Virgo, there is, there is that giant shepherd. Remember I told you about the giant shepherd? Well, one of the things that he's watching is these, these sheepdogs, okay? And the sheepdogs are, um, I won't tell you too much about this constellation, but in this constellation is a galaxy called the Whirlpool Galaxy. You guys know about the Whirlpool Galaxy? Okay, so, so I'm gonna show you a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy here. Here's a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy, okay? Is that cool or what? Okay, that's one of the, what's one of the lights in, in that, that sheepdog deal. But in this, if you guys get a magnifying glass and look at the very, 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 very center of that galaxy, you guys want to see what it looks like? Okay. Is that cool or what? Okay. Okay. Now, now one more. We're going to go to one more. So I, I said we started with 12, right? There were 12. And um, we're going to go all the way around. We've gone, we went through four or five, but now we're going to go all the way through and, whoops, here we go. I gotta turn around, I guess is what I gotta do. Okay, we go all the way around the Taurus, and then we got these down here, and then we finally, okay, the last one before we get back to Virgo is Leo, the lion. Okay, this is the very end. Now the very end, it's at the very end because Jesus comes back figuratively as the lion of the tribe of Judah to rule, right? Is that right? Okay, now there's three. Sorry, I gotta turn my back on you guys. Okay, there's three um, other um, constellations that are associated with this. One is Hydra. Hydra. You guys know about Hydra? Okay, Hydra is a serpent, the sea serpent, that has, here it's shown with one head, but it grows, supposedly grows multiple heads if you cut off its head. The seven headed serpent is the beast in Revelation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So the seven heaven serpent and beast in Revelation, the time that the line of the tribe of the Judah comes back, um, is one of the constellations. Another constellation is the cup, the cup of God's wrath that we poured out on this world for all people who have refused to accept the... Yeah, I don't know. I, there's, there's a lot more. Guys, here's what's exciting about this. This is what took me so long. If you study the names of these stars, those names of the stars are fascinating. I mean, there's stars that, that their location in the galaxies, it's like, did somebody, did somebody come along and make this all up? This was, but this is ancient. This is pre-biblical dating. You guys can read the Bible. You know what the ancients did? They were the stars. They told the story of salvation in the stars. Okay, there's one more here. And this is this raven. This raven coming down to devour, as is in the, in the book of um, Revelation, chapter 19, that the, the, this bird of doom come and eat up the flesh of those people who have refused Jesus as their king. That, that's exciting. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Everyone should come and lead us in one more song. Here, I asked him to lead us in, in a song that proclaims the glory of the Lord. The Lord, is it possible that the Lord set every star in space at just the right place because he had a plan to declare his glory to, the pe to these little people on this planet through his stars, through his creation? Guys, let's worship Jesus.